toilets for them. According to King Seppa, the first goal of the agency is to stop the arrival of new people, but in the end, it is desired that all campers leave voluntarily because there are problems with water and other hygiene conditions during the gathering. The health board has already imposed the first penalty payment. The police hope to find a peaceful solution. There is also a police station operating on the basis of a request for assistance. According to Ottomar Virki, the operational head of the southern prefecture, the police have been in contact with the health board for several days and visited the site. We support the decisions of the health board. We are currently identifying people. Initially, our task is to reduce the risk of the coronavirus spreading. Those people, fortunately not many of them have arrived, who come from countries at risk, are being tested. Those who test positive will be quarantined. There is no other option. We will give the rest of the people the opportunity to leave the area in the coming days. We do not allow new people into the area. Verk described the police activities to Delphi. Verk noted that the hippie community is generally relatively peaceful and friendly. Worldviews are different, those who believe that a coronavirus exists, those who do not, he said. We will definitely find a solution that is as peaceful as possible, Virk promised. Unfortunately, this is the situation, and if the situation of the virus improves, it will probably be possible to organize a similar event next year or the next year without any problems, Virk said. Ansla Municipality received information from the Health Board about the European Rainbow Gathering event in Ansla Municipality on 15 July. On the same day, the Health Board sent additional questions to the event contact person with instructions on how it is currently possible to run events with a larger number of participants. Although the contact person generally replied that he complies with the rules, the questions asked by the Health Board remained unanswered. As a result, the Health Board proposed to Ansla Parish, the Environmental Board, the Environmental Inspectorate, the Rescue Board, the Police and Border Guard Board, the South Estonian Hospital, and the contact person of the event to meet and discuss the situation at Ansla Parish Hall on Friday. The event contact person attended the meeting by phone. The authorities considered that, in the circumstances, no safe conditions had been created for the event to take place. The Onslow Rural Municipality Government met on the evening of July 17th and issued an order that the gathering of the rainbow is not allowed in this form. The Health Board handed over the decision to ban the event to the contact person on the 20th of July. The invitation to the hippie camp planned for a month on a private property in Onslow Municipality on Monday stated, among other things, that the use of sh Shampoo, soap, and toothpaste near water is prohibited in order to prevent pollution of drinking water. According to Miriam, who had previously attended the Rainbow Gathering event, the event has been misunderstood in several things, and he was surprised by the ban on the event. It was written somewhere that alcohol-based disinfectants are banned. That's not right. If they don't have enough, they could be better equipped. At last year's European gathering in Sweden, there was pretty good hygiene and no problems at the toilet, definitely had to wash their hands and cut their nails before handling food, he told the ERR. According to Miriam, other detergents are certainly not prohibited, but pollution of water bodies is avoided, and every day when you are really in nature, you are not soaped at all, just like in tents or hiking in nature. The grounds on which the health board wants to suspend the event remain incomprehensible, Miriam stated. Hopefully a solution will be found that satisfies both parties. The Rainbow family will definitely remain peaceful. I can't imagine anything uglier than forcibly dispersing peaceful hippies who are already on the road. 
come anyway, and I know there is no reason to disperse them completely, he said. After reports of police surrounding the site, the following two updates were posted on the Facebook group for the European Rainbow Gathering in Estonia, as well as the thread for the Estonian Rainbow Gathering on rainbowforum.net. From Facebook, The private land where the gathering was to be held is surrounded by police, so no entry or exit. Those inside, and probably around, will have to take a test. If positive, the person has to quarantine for two weeks, with food provided. Please do not come. Edit. It is a nose swab that goes up pretty far into the nose. One official said that if one person refuses, all would have to quarantine. We'll update soon. Edit. Most have taken the test and can go, if negative, tomorrow evening or the next day. Now we just chilling, but people are forbidden to stay after this. And from the Rainbow Forum site, Last update today. Police have taken our details and we all did voluntary test. Tomorrow results and then we have to leave. We are now with 35 people and 5 children. Our host has been in the media. She has to pay a fine of 800 euro that we hope to pay with the magic hat of last year if the Swedish and Israeli brothers show up with their part of the magic hat. We are safe and still smiling. We hope to make a circle for consensus for next Euro gathering. Okay, thanks, Finch, for our news update from the Rainbow News from Estonia. It's interesting to see the kind of things that people deal with all over the world when it comes to rainbow gatherings, especially now during these COVID times. So the stream went down uh, for a little bit. I don't know how long the stream was down, but later on, we'll, um, the whole thing was recorded. So hopefully we'll be able to put the uninterrupted version up. I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Kamali, who was here last week. And we had a lot of fun hanging out with Rainbow Stuff and uh, <laughs> Rainbow Stuff and Things and Lobster Day, the internationally recognized holiday that we made up. This is a recording of, of an original song from um, from them. So I'm really, this is a raw, always free exclusive I begin to feel sick Cause I'm back on the bourbon And I'm raging every night I'll be haggard in the morning But tonight I feel just right There's no cause for concern I won't make it your problem I make my own money, and I'll buy my own bottle. Let's pass it around and drink to their deaths and suck it all down. 
till there's not one drop left. Cause I'm back on the bourbon and I'm raging every night. I'll be haggard in the morning, but tonight I feel just right. I'll be haggard. Yay, that was good. <laughs> that was an always free exclusive. Nobody has ever aired that on the radio before. That's. <laughs> A little piece of Kamali that we get to keep. And who doesn't want a piece of Kamali? All right. Thank you again. That was beautiful. I think I'm going to start playing um, Butterfly Bill's, an excerpt from his, uh, his book about the 2013 Rainbow Gathering that Finch recorded for us. And it might not play all the way through because we're expecting a call from Rich in Spirit. But we're going to play some of uh, his music as well. So if we don't get through the, the 2013 Montana story of Butterfly Bill, we can do it next week. And thanks again to Finch for sending in the news recordings and keeping us updated. And Molly for your words. And all of you for listening. The Long Walking Gathering, Montana 2013 by Butterfly Bill. The 2013 annual National Rainbow Gathering in the Beaverhead Deer Lodge National Forest in Montana was spread out over a site that measured over two and a half miles from its northernmost to its southernmost populated areas. My daily commute from the place where my van was parked to Info was a mile and a half each way, and a round trip from Info to Dinner Circle was over a mile. Adding to that, visits to Kid Village a quarter mile away and any other exploring of the site I wanted to do, I probably walked at least six or seven miles in any single day, and many days more than that. And the walks often seemed longer because I could frequently see my destination in the distance across the sagebrush and grass that covered most of the site, and I'd think I was close until I found myself walking a lot more than I was thinking I'd have to. Much of this was a result of a personal choice that I made to commute to my van parked in Handicamp every night after spending most of the day around the info booth rather than sleeping in the tent that I set up there. It was possible to stay on the hills where most of the population was and visit lots of kitchens and events with relatively little walking, though the walking you'd do would be mostly up and down mountain slopes of sometimes 20 degrees or more, and many did this but I felt that the daily walk back to my van enabled me to watch the gathering grow and then diminish, and to know what was going on at the front gate and the other side of the valley. I also found the morning walk to be conducive to meditation and reflection, and during that time I composed in my head some of the paragraphs that follow in this essay. This gathering was on the same site that was used in 2000. To me, the western border of Montana looks like a human face in profile, with a long nose extending down over some puffy cheeks with a pair of puckered lips in the middle. The gathering was near the space between the nose and the lips where a mustache would be. While standing in the main meadow, you could see the valley sides to the left and right slope down low and frame some snow-covered mountains in the distance. This was the Bitterroot Range, and the crest of it is the border with Idaho. 
The nearest town was Jackson, about 12 miles away down a root road, dirt road that ran through cow pastures after leaving the forest, and the nearest place to do any normal shopping was Dillon, some 60 miles away. Some things were the same. Kid Village was set up in the same place it had occupied the first time, and Lovin' Ovens was not too far away from its old location. At Kid Village, depressions were found in the ground where the old compost pits had been dug. The people who had filled them in during the first cleanup had raked the ground level over them instead of leaving a mound of dirt over them to compensate to the soil settling as the garbage beneath decomposed. I was told they were dug out again to make the new pits. But more things were different. I called the 2000 gathering the Montana gathering because the Montana camp seemed so prominent. This was not the case this time. The meadow where Teepee Circle stood with Montana camp immediately to the south remained uninhabited this year until a large boogie pit was dug near its northern end and Montana camp was hidden in the woods near the ovens. No single teepee circle appeared. Instead, they were scattered around the meadows. Info set up not far from where Rainbow Crystal Kitchen was before and encountered the same troubles with a nearby stream that Gary Stubbs did. The main meadow where Dinner Circle on the 4th of July happened was several hundred yards to the west of where it had been in 2000. And this gathering had a lot more of the young rainbows who prefer to dress in black and khaki rather than tie-dyes. Like last year in Tennessee, Fat Kids Kitchen, people who had been associated with Montana Mud, and other crusty kids played a large role in the seed camp, main supply, and cleanup movies. Nick at Night acted as roving observers for Shantasina, and we even had some people from the projects haul in some of the supplies for info. I arrove at about three in the afternoon on the 20th of June after a drive from my current hometown of Muskogee, Oklahoma that took two days of dawn to dusk driving and from dawn to this time on the third. Uh, the first sign of any rainbow activity was a group of scruffy looking people on a small patch of grass by a fork in the Forest Service Road. One brother walked by my window as I slowed down and I asked him how to get to Bus Village. He told me to go to the left, and I did, descending around a broad S-curve to the grass-covered meadow where the lower bus village had been in 2000. I found that the center of it, where most of the vehicles were parked in 2000, was now occupied by several large wooden cattle pens with ramps for offloading from semi-trailer trucks. There were still some spaces around their edges, and I parked my van close to a fence and one of the ramps. Further away was the Fat Kids school bus, along with another bus and some other personal-sized vehicles. I walked back up to where I had seen all the people before and asked another brother some questions. When I asked if the place we were in had a name, he said, A-Camp. Apparently, they hadn't been able to find much booze recently because nobody was acting especially rowdy, and most of them talked politely to me. When I asked how to get to the main trail, he pointed to the road to the right of the fork and said, That way. That road went for several hundred yards until I saw another group of people by the side of the road milling about or sitting by piles of camping gear. There were two tall trees close together with two long poles extending between them with, two, with short sticks laid crosswise over them to make a counter on which there were already some piles of papers. A little cardboard sign hung from it that said, Info. Next to the tree, on the right, someone had drawn a simple map with a white felt-tip marker on a blue tarp and hung it from a rod tied by a tree branch. As I was standing there looking at the counter, 
A young woman with curly ringlets of red hair came up to me and said, Hi, my name is Change, but most people call me Misinformation. We got into a conversation, and during the course of it, found out that she had been staying by herself with a three-year-old daughter in the dome tent nearby. Her van was parked by itself on the other side of the road, and after coming in yesterday and being confused and finding nobody to answer her questions, she took on herself the task of informing the newcomers. I didn't know a thing about what was going on when I first started, but people had been coming in and telling me all kinds of stuff. She had been there by herself constantly for all that time, and she asked me and everybody else passing through if they had any kind of food. I introduced myself and told her there would probably be another information built further inside the gathering, and I hoped there could be some cooperation. I was also attracted by her outgoing and extroverted personality, and I told her that I saw a talented infomaniac in her. But I found her directions to the main trail failed me shortly after leaving and actually looking for it, and I found myself back on the road headed for A camp. There was a group of sober-looking brothers standing and talking by the road to the side, and after expressing confusion at one man's directions, another said, I was already going to go there. Do you uh, wanna, want me to escort you? He took me back up the road and past the place that I heard others refer to later as Little Info and onto the main trail. Shortly thereafter, I saw Markin and Jay High standing next to Markin's new used pickup truck and thanked the brother and told him I wouldn't be needing his services anymore. Markin told me he had just found out they didn't want him to park there and that he had already scouted out another place that was next to the Forest Service Road. It's just a short walk over this hill. Do you want to go with us? I said yes, and we went to the place where we could have parked several feet from the edge of the road under the shade of trees, but Markin noticed there were no other vehicles parked there, and he was wondering if there was a reason why. It turned out there was. The Forest Service had totally banned all parking by the sides of roads, restricted it to parking lot areas only. This was relaxed in stages later in the gathering, but now it was strictly in force. Change said she had got what seemed to be an agreement so far with them to leave her van parked nearby on the other side of the road, Markin brought his truck down and parked it next to my van in the lower bus village. Later on that evening, Robbie Gordon showed up there with his truck and teepee poles, bringing Tony, two other Taos brothers, and a sister. He said he didn't have any encounters with the Forest Service police on his way in, but some Dillon City cops stopped him for his cracked windshield and noticed that none of the passengers in his back seat had their seatbelts fastened. Fastened. They gave him a ticket that he was able to pay on the spot with his debit card and let him go, but he was still in a colossally bad mood when he first came in. Shortly thereafter, Henry the Fiddler appeared in his van. It was 34 degrees as the sun appeared over the mountain to the east of the lower bus village at 610 on June 21st. I heard several idling engines as people tried to warm up the insides of their vehicles, and I woke up one guy who was sleeping in the driver's seat of an old Buick station wagon, fearing that he was passing out from carbon monoxide. I finally got my bearings and realized there were two roads leading out of there, the unpaved but graded Forest Service road that I had first descended, and another less developed road that in some places was just two tire tracks in the grass. They separated at a fork shortly after you started the initial climb. I finally recognized this as the trail I had always taken to the main valley from Bus Village in 2000. It didn't seem quite the same as my memories, and I finally decided it was because a lot of the trees had grown taller. It went on to intersect the wider Forest Service Road, which continued uphill, past Little Info and the front gate, to the east, and ultimately curved around to border the southern side of the, side of the site. 
There was another bus village about halfway up, overlooking the main valley, and another one higher up at the south road. After a short initial climb, and before another short final one, the road between the lower bus village and the front gate was mostly level. There was a string tied between two trees that framed the entrance to it, coming from the Forest Service Road across from Little Info, with a sign hanging from it that said, Handy Camp. This is a place for physically handicapped people that appears at every national rainbow gathering. This was where they first started allowing parking by the side of the road, as long as you were at least five feet from the edge. I passed Little Info, where only Sheila, the sister who came with Robbie, was awake, sitting by a campfire on the other side of the entrance to the main trail. I continued on the trail and went into the main valley. It started out about a hundred feet wide with trees on both sides of a grass-covered band that ran on both sides of a creek for about a quarter of a mile. Then it opened into a broad bowl. Out in the, the wide part, the tree line was several hundred feet up the slopes from the valley floor on most sides. The valley was in the general shape of a T on its side, with the trunk of the T extending to the west and the view of the snowy mountains in the distance and the top of the T extending from the entrance by little info to the southern end where the land rose into forest cover and where most of the population would be. The altitude of the main circle area was approximately 7,300 feet. Where the narrow valley entrance started to open out into the wide meadow, there were people building kitchen that was finally called Mutter Earth. It was originally conceived as a welcome home kitchen, but it turned out to be too far into the gathering to be effective as such. I was told a few days later that there had been a split among the people who worked at Montana Mud Kitchen. Most of them followed Useless, who had been the main focalizer, uh, to here, and it grew into a sizable establishment with a fire pit in the shape of an M and a sign saying, A Sober Food Place. Later on in the gathering, some of the other people couldn't bear to see the history-laden name of Montana Mud disappear from the gathering, set up a kitchen halfway up the trail leading to Montana Camp, and put up a sign saying it was Montana Mud. The Always Free had the text of a speech Useless had made at Thanksgiving Council, passing the name back to Jimbo, its original founder. It was considerably smaller than the Montana Muds of the past. Out in the meadows, the land was covered with grass and sagebrush. Here and there were circular holes as much as six inches in diameter, dug entrances to t as entrances to underground tunnels by some burrowing animal. There were small yellow flowers resembling buttercups and others that looked like purple-blue bonnets. Sound carried far here, and sometimes I could hear voices and make out what they were saying from hundreds of yards away. The sun started to appear over the hills to light up the valley at about 7 in the morning and completely flooded it with light by 7.20. In the evening, the sun set behind the hills at about 9.10, and it took the same amount of time for the valley to be completely in shadow. Twilight lasted until after 11 o'clock, and some events that were scheduled for dark 30 started while there was still light. The trees in the forested parts of the sites were almost all lodgepole pines, so named because of their long, straight trunks. Pine bark beetles were starting to do the same thing they had done to the 2008 Wyoming site, making the needles on lots of trees turn reddish-brown and others fall down dead and dry. I could have called it the second fallen tree gathering. It was not yet as severe. It seemed to be affecting less than a quarter of the trees. There was lots of long and straight tinder for building bridges and structures lying on the ground. 
The pine trees were dispersing pollen which coated tents, tarps, and cars with yellow dust and aggravated many people's allergies. I didn't go very far beyond the initial narrow corridor that first day because I couldn't find anything that looked like established trails out in the wide open part. Instead, I spent the morning at a kitchen that was just setting up called Camp Freedom. My asking for coffee was the stimulus that started a brother called Firewalker to stoke the grill, find, stoke the fire, find a grill to lay over it, and ultimately cook up a breakfast that included eggs and sausage. I returned to the parking lot at about noon and experienced my first rain on this site. For a few minutes, it was accompanied by rice kernel-sized hail, but this quickly subsided and this was a rarity. Whenever it did rain around here, it always fell in small droplets. There were never any downpours, and the rains usually lasted only for an hour or two. But every day of the gathering, there was a chance there would be at least one rainy period, and I started carrying a fold-up umbrella with me every time I went out onto the trails. There were a few long periods of rain, and one of these was most of the night and morning leading into June 22nd. When I got up and stepped outside of my van at about 5 o'clock in the morning, it had turned into snow. When I got up again at about 7, it was coming down in big clumps of flakes. I was able to stick the full length of an index finger into what had accumulated on top of my van before the tip of it rested on the metal. At 8.45, the sun came out, and shortly thereafter, the snow turned back into rain and it started to taper off, finally stopping at about 11. Now the snow started melting, and the road to the parking lot turned into what looked like hopeless quagmires of mud, surpassing even Pennsylvania in 99 and Arkansas in 07. I had been planning to walk into the main part of the gathering, but I resigned myself to perhaps spending the whole day in the parking lot. I lay down in my van and dropped off to sleep. By the time I had awakened at about 2.30 in the afternoon, the snow had completely melted and it had to take more than a few vehicles going over them to start packing the road surfaces down hard. The mud congealed and dried rapidly. I also noted that both Henry's and Robbie's vehicles had both left. I walked up to Handicamp to Little Info to see if Change could use some help, and in the progress discovered where they had gone to. They had parked in Handicamp's small grassy field along the road just before where it made its brief final climb to the intersection with the Forest Service Road by Little Info. This information appeared to be doing all right, and somebody had brought her some packages of ramen that she was boiling in a walk over the campfire, so I again tried to go into the broad part of the valley. This time I found what the Forest Service had been calling an ATV trail, which was a strip of bare land about a foot wide running through the grass. Over the course of two weeks, other foot-trodden trails would appear on, this side of the on each side of this strip until there was a boulevard eight feet wide in spots. Later, there emerged some forks leading off to other trails, and I started telling newcomers to always go to the left if they wanted to get to the most populated area. I walked this trail to where it ended at Kid Village, which had already erected a huge tarp-covered structure. At about three-quarters of the way in, I found the big dome tent that was going to be the info supply tent. On the morning of June 23rd, just before sunrise, the temperature was 26 degrees, the coldest temperature that I have experienced at a gathering. This turned out to be a rarity at this gathering, too. The more usual sunrise temperature was around 40 degrees. It was cold enough to make going to the shitter in the morning uncomfortable. 
An hour later, I hauled in my tent and tarp to the info site and found two trees near each other to tie a rope between and drape my tarp over the tent. Then I went on to Kid Village where they were serving their usual opulent breakfast of potatoes, eggs, pancakes, and oatmeal with fruit. I found out I was still regarded as an elder like Felipe had pronounced me last year and had the same be served from behind the line privileges. I returned to my van and brought in a second load of a cot and a blanket, and when I got back to Info, I walked into a council that was being held in the cooperations meadow behind it. It was a supply and kitchen council, and there were few enough present that people could just talk across the circle at each other without the need for a feather. I was happy to see some faces from Tennessee back this year. Sloth, the nicket nighter who kept the books for the magic hat, Ray, the fat kid's sister who helped handled most of main supply, Daniel, who had been focalizing Dinner Circle, and fellow infomaniacs Jay High and Markin. There was much talk about determining the number of walks and pots in each kitchen, and their capacities in gallons, and the comparative number of servings each kitchen was capable of, all to determine which proportion of the total amount of supplies available each kitchen would receive. Ray went on and on about keeping supplies off the ground and up on pallets or tables. It was decided that every day, Piles of food would be made, destined for each individual kitchen, and that each one would bring a tent or table for their, for their uh, quota to be placed in. At that time, all the supplies were being deposited at a point on the road far above Bus Village, and there was discussion of moving it down to near the front gate, where it had been in 2000. This was not done immediately, but a few days later it was. Later that afternoon at Info, I found out that the rainbow posties that appeared for the first time last year were back. They were a rainbow postal service who walked all over the gathering, delivering messages written on paper and put into envelopes with stamps hand-drawn by the sender. They continued to deliver up to the second when the population of the gathering and the number of the messages got beyond what they could handle. I was told that on the third they had a ceremony where they fired the gathering and burned all of the still undelivered messages in a campfire. They did not deliver any more me messages after that. Robbie Gordon and his friend Tony set up their teepees about a hundred yards down the main trail to the north from Info on June 23rd, and I spent some time over there every day. On the afternoon of the 24th, I was sitting out in front of Robbie's with them and a few other friends when Plunker came up to us and said he had some things to report. He said he had heard reports of people being stopped by Leos as they came in and subjected to checks of their licenses and registrations, but he said they weren't using dogs. Shortly after, while Plunker was still there, a man in an LEO uniform accompanied by a man in a light blue plaid shirt, uh, blue jeans and a tan baseball with a black and white American flag on its crown, Plunker pointed to the man in, in skivvies and civvies and said, I'd like to introduce you to this year's incident commander, Tim Walther. He was wearing no gun holster or any other police equipment. The man in uniform told me he was Chris Hancock, the operations officer, and, as he told us, second in command. Mr. Walther said that he, this was his first gathering, and he hoped to learn how to work together with you. Plunker described him as a fine gentleman who I think we will really be able to work with. They were going all out to introduce and shake hands and ask our names, and they were willing to chat with us and listen to our concerns. There had been an official-looking piece of paper that showed up at Info stating that the forest supervisor had issued a special order banning nudity. Mr. Hancock said, 
We don't care, just as it's long as it's not inside of a public highway. Later on in the conversation, I heard him say things like, we might as well work together, and I think we can accomplish a lot more through cooperation and not confrontation. There was no mention of any permit. Then they told us of two recent incidents they had been involved with. A baby elk that had been attacked and killed by a dog, and a brother attacking another with a shovel in an argument over a girl. We expressed our concern and our assurances that we would work with our Shantasina to protect things like this from happening again, and they seemed to accept them. All us rainbows there were surprised and cautiously optimistic over this dramatic change in tone from the past. Later that afternoon, the gathering had its first dinner circle with the stated starting time of 6 o'clock and the actual serving starting at about 6.30. About 150 people showed up and Fat Kids, Mutter Earth, and Iris Kitchens were the first to bring food. Daniel was focalizing as he had in the past, and in later days he poured out the same flower rings on the ground for forming concentric circles around that he had in the past. At the kitchen council, the previous day, it had been agreed that it would not be in the same place it was in 2000, but over to the west, in a lower part where there was no sagebrush and all grass. All over the site, in the areas not covered by trees, there were dried-out patties of cow manure that were sometimes as big as two in diameter. There was a greater number of these in the two feet in diameter. There was a greater number of these in the grassy area, and before dinner circle started, Several people showed up with wheelbarrows and tried picking them all up. There had been spotty rain showers all day, and some cow pies were starting to moisten, making them harder to pick up without breaking. Most of the big stuff was successfully removed, but there remained lots of little bits and pieces. To the end of the gathering, you had to exercise caution over where you plopped down your rump when you sat down. Later that evening, in Bus Village, there was an electronics addict who had to have his pickup truck stereo going for all the time it took him to unload all his gear, and I thought back to 2000 where I had to move my truck almost every night to get away from some noise that had just shown up. Previously, both Jay High and Markin told me I was allowed to park in Handicamp, I guess because of my age, but I resisted it for a while because I was still able-bodied and I didn't want to use up space that might become scarce. This guy helped me make the decision to move, and I drove up the road and found a place after a brother there warned me not to park in the first place I chose because of some treacherous rocks. It cut about a quarter mile off my walk in and out, so I became comfortable with my decision. There, I could close all the doors and windows of my van and be in complete silence. On the morning of June 26th, I did some exploring of the site. To the right of Kid Village, as you approached, it was a stream named Saginaw Creek that ran the whole length of the valley. There was a rainbow-built bridge across it, and the trail across it led uphill to Rough and Ready Kitchen. Beyond, there was a fork whose right branch ultimately led to Instant Soup. Nothing much was happening in either of those places this early in the morning. About a football field's length before you arrived at Kid Village going on the main trail, there was a fork with a trail leading off to the left, and many kitchens and camps appeared off of this. There was a place called Surreal Cereal with tie-dyed sheets hung along its four sides, and by this ran a path that led up to turtle soup and love in ovens, which was still in its early stages of construction this day. Further along the trail was Jesus Camp, uh, and other, another place where I saw some Bread of Life people, but not their octagonal kiosk and any sign identifying it as such. I was told that several Christian uh, kitchens were combining to make a composite one. Further up the trail was Montana Camp, and at the end was a place that offered massage. 
many more kitchens and camps would appear later along this trail. Near Info was another rainbow bridge that led across the creek, and it led to a place enclosed by hanging sheets inside, which they were beating gongs and steel drums and other esoteric percussion instruments. Further along the trail was a kitchen with a big sign that said rumors and a smaller sign to its right saying misinformation. I wondered if this was deliberate irony being not far from our banner that says information and rumor control, and I learned later that it was. The irony was not hostile. The kitchen had first appeared at a national gathering in Washington in 2011, which I did not attend, and its original intent was to be a coffee kitchen with a general focus on serving coffee 24-7 to the late-night info crew. They had an elaborate bliss fire area with a tarp-covered sitting spaces on each side of their fire pit, and this was later a venue for Chantasina workshops in the afternoon. The crew dressed more in the blacky khaki style than the hippie, but there were some mornings when I heard coming from there some tight and spirited drumming. This morning I continued on the trail that ran past rumors and then downhill to the northwest. Just beyond was the end of one of the water pipes leading to the springs above, and there was a line of people with buckets and big jugs waiting to fill them up. A short distance further, Soaring Turkey, a Krishna devotee, was erecting his teepee, where he led chanting and gave talks. Beyond was a camp that I was told was named Stitch and Bitch, and from there the trail went into the trees and led down to a kitchen with a sign that said, Casual Encounters. The next place that I encountered was a place they called Mud and Butts. It was where the trail intersected another Forest Service road going downhill, and shortly down that road was Nick at Night. The idea behind Mud and Butts was that there, there you could have coffee and cigarettes. The principal focalizer was a brother who called himself Nada Dave, and he was able to inspire a lot of hardcore street kids. There were signs along the road that pointed to Iris Kitchen, Fat Kids, and Fairy Camp. Shortly after passing Nick at night, which was a tarp-covered structure with many straight sticks crisscrossed around its side, making it look almost like an animal cage, the tree cover started to broaden and the road came to the edge of the meadow, and there a trading circle was forming. In the trees just to the west was the Projects, a camp where there were lots of young people who lived on the streets of big cities when they weren't at gatherings and had extremely anarchist and punk attitudes. Stories were that they sometimes consumed alcohol. They were also reported to like to do small acts of violence on each other as fun, and one of these was shooting at each other with a BB gun. They said it was just a game they played with each other, but some shots went outside their camp into places where there were sometimes children. Complaints about this started coming through Info, and finally one afternoon, Mr. Hancock and another LEO came into Info and asked where the BB gun was. One of us was able to tell him that one of the older people in that camp had taken it and locked it up in his vehicle in Upper Bus Village. On another day, a big Chantasina council had to be called, where some of the traders' blankets had started to migrate backward into what they thought was the boundaries of their camp. On the other hand, Nada Dave was able to get several of them to haul in several wagon loads of equipment for Info, so many of us at Info didn't really know what kind of judgment to make. This route seemed to me like a shorter one to the dinner circle area than going down to the main trail in the meadow and then turning a corner to go over, and this became my regular route in the evening from Info. 
Most of the workers in the kitchens and the people in the camps along this route wore blacky khaki fashions, and it started to look like this was the dirty kid side of the gathering, while the hippie and high holy side was up the hill to the south. The kid culture was also predominant on the other side of the valley near the front gate. There were a few places apparently on the wrong sides of the line like Rough and Ready and Montana Mud up the hill and Ferry Camp and Soaring Turkey's Teepee down it, but there were majorities in both territories. Again, info wound up on the dividing line. At kitchen councils, there had been talk about starting a breakfast circle which would start at about 11 o'clock. On the 27th, we actually did it, and about 300 people showed up. Casual encounters by themselves tried to feed all of these with a wok full of fried potatoes. In later days, pots of oatmeal and dry granola and chai tea from other kitchens would also show up. This continued to happen every day except the 4th until July 7th, and since this was an occasion to pass the magic hat, I attended all of these. David Alexander English took on the task of focalizing it, and over the days he developed a routine that included several parts. As the circle was still assembling and we were waiting, he would call for a roll call of the states, where everyone in the circle would say what town and state they were from. He would ask for everyone at their first gathering to stand up, and this was followed by applause, cheers, and welcome homes. He would ask us to all holler, breakfast circle, two or three times. Then he would ask us all to make a lot of noise and commotion so people will hear it and think there's something going on here and come over to see what it is. Finally, he asked for everyone saying the ohm to not cheer and holler at the end, but instead stay silent while they squatted down to touch the earth. For four days, there were a few people who couldn't keep quiet, and every day his pleadings grew longer. He'd say, when we chant Om, a shaft of light appears in the center of the circle, stretching infinitely upward and downward. When we whoop and holler, that destroys this. Then he started asking anyone who cannot agree to do it this way to please step back from the circle, and a few people complied, but still not everybody. On the 30th, he had a group of people sing the songs. With the Om, we call the angels. In the silence, they will come. With the Om, we call the angels. In the silence, after the Om but there were still a few who cheered at the end. After the circle had eaten, he asked if there was anyone who wanted to experience what it was like when they remained silent, and about 20 people circled up, omed, and then squatted down and touched the earth in silence. Okay, thank you, Finch, for reading the first half of the Butterfly Bill 2013 story. We have on the line now, uh, Rich in Spirit. Can you say hi, Rich? Are you there? Um, just... I can't get you on the radio yet. Uh, let me turn this down. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to take the little case off your phone to make it work. Although I know you were playing from there earlier. Okay, so uh, can we hear you on the radio now? Can you say something, Rich? Oh, uh, oh yeah, there we go. We can hear you now. Perfect. Okay, so we have Rich and Spirit on the line here. Main staple and instant soup. Well, hi, y'all. Hope you're staying safe. 
Yeah, we're staying as safe as we can, socially distant here at this radio station. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say right off that about a week ago, I put up uh, a, a live stream of our local band here in the backyard, and I was mentioning how I missed the gathering. I said that it was a gathering to commemorate the Woodstock Festival. That was, a, that was my mistake. It is, that's true that it commemorates the Woodstock Festival, but it's a gathering for World on July 4th. That, and I was called out on it, rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the uh, the clips that you sent me the video of? Uh, I, I don't know what of the video election? you have. Um, Backyard boys. It, yeah, that's what it looked like. <laughs> so yeah, we were missing the gathering here too. That's why we did this uh, radio um, show to start, like talking about rainbow gatherings. It's like my rainbow away from rainbow, and we've been like archiving an audio version of old issues of always free. Uh huh. Do you have a, what was your favorite gathering or what is a gathering that sticks out to you? My favorite gathering wasn't in the United States. It was in Ireland. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was my all time favorite. The Irish people loved us. We were totally welcome there. Oh, that's cool. What was a, what was your favorite part of what was the highlight of that gathering? Uh, they only had one kitchen and besides the chapati kitchen. And I I, uh, I remember gathering under this blue tarp. So it was a chapati kitchen. Everybody that went in there sat down to make chapatis for the evening meal. And uh, uh, just a local farmer came by with his horse and gave everybody a horseback ride. And green, it was as green as you can imagine. It, it, it oozed green. It, uh, pieces came up out of the ground, all green. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. Well, can you remind oh, me, well, what year was that? Oh, jeez. Uh, I don't know. They all blend these days. Uh, uh, late, late 90s. Oh, cool. That's my guess. I'm guessing now, <laughs> but I hitchhiked there with the uh, with the guitar and a teapot and a bunch of tea to do an herbal little herbal tea kitchen, and that was very rewarding. I was up on the hill by myself, and people would just come up by one or two at a time to have herbal tea. Awesome! <laughs> That's a cool like um, international gathering memory that you shared with us. Uh, thanks for that. So. Yeah. I remember, I remember at that gathering with a fellow named Horse. Horse was in Virginia now. Horse and I were walking down to the to the uh, main meal, uh, uh, coming up with a song for uh, the Magic Hat song, and it became uh, the it's still played today. The Magic Hat song, very simple, Dr. Seuss type song. Do you want to sing that like song? Do you want to sing that song first now? I it was like uh, the magic hat, the magic hat. How about that? It's the magic hat. It gives, feeds us, it gives us all the food we eat, so give to the magic hat. It's that simple. <laughs> and then see it, uh, G, C, D, G, round and round and round. Yeah, I like how yeah. uh, we, we combined our, our 
our our meals with our music and bring it together and everyone comes together the hat really is magic because it feeds so many people yeah so the major differences between europe gatherings and the american gatherings huh. american gatherings you might have maybe a dozen teepees uh the european gathering you'll have over 50 teepees they uh they uh, uh emulate the uh, native american culture in a big way much bigger than us Oh, that's cool. Uh, at night, they go around from teepee to teepee. They'd be entertained by a, a German puppet show or, you know, stuff like that. German puppet show. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, yeah uh, Irish folk singing or uh, Italian folk singing. Each, each teepee was different. Yeah, I would, I would like to go to more international gatherings. So I was yeah, wondering... I could you tell me a little bit about your involvement with Instant Soup and how that started? Well, sure. And in, in, in uh, '95, in New Mexico, we were on a on a hill. Uh, um, my friend Summer, who uh, and I, who had, he has a health food store here in Key West, he said that uh, we could we could uh, come up with a kitchen that was healthy, and we searched for the. Oh, most healthy foods we could find, the healthiest food. And, uh, and in 96, we started it in uh, Missouri. So uh, Instant Soup started in 96 in Missouri? Correct. Been going ever since with a great crew. Yeah, I know it's a place I could always go to um, to get an instant bowl of soup. <laughs> It's a beautiful place. There's always lots of music. Yeah, I like playing. I like playing with the gypsy uh, bands. And uh, now that the, the younger folks are doing a better job for organizing than I ever did, so I, I can just leave it to them and go play music with the gypsies. <laughs> well, that's good. It's like you, you teach somebody how, how something goes, and then they do it, and then you're free to do other things. It's like... A, an apprenticeship, I guess. <laughs> They're doing a great job. Way better than I ever did it. So, I was wondering, uh, how did you find out about Rainbow? What was your first gathering? My first gathering was in 1980 in West Virginia. It was the first time that it came east. So, that was the first time I knew about it. Oh, wow. And they've been going ever since, except for I missed maybe four of them. How did you find out about it? Uh, at that time, it was uh, before internet. It was word of mouth, or usually health food stores had had some kind of uh, notice on their boards. Oh, interesting! Health health food stores had like notices, like uh, people would put up flyers there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. That's how I found out about it. So you were in Florida, and you saw, like, you heard about it. Uh, like, how did you hear about it? You said it was word of mouth, but, like, how did you? Word of mouth, but then I, I saw a flyer in the health food store. Oh, okay. So was that in Florida that you were when you saw that? Yeah. And you went up to Virginia? Correct. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm always interested to hear the story of how people um, come home, you know, how they find home and... And you've been gathering ever since. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I, I'm just recalling at this moment uh, my most uh, my favorite medical recollection. Again, not in the United States. Uh, this one was in Austria. Uh, we were organizers in Austria. Uh, kind of finagled us into gathering on Hitler's old home ground. It was a military base. Wow. And, and, and they were on a vacation. So uh, we were gathered there, and uh, they dropped slides on us that said, at the top it said in large letters, Achtung, attention, you can't gather here. It's a military base. It's dangerous. You have to leave. So we not only did not leave, we set up a big Krishna tent afterwards. And uh, uh, the next morning, I was uh, tuning my guitar at the main pole, uh, just right after sunrise, and Robbie Gordon was there with me. And this this uh, stocky guy, general guy, comes stomping up to us, and he says he wants to speak to the leaders. And I says, "We said there are no leaders." <laughs> so he he proceeded to read from the from the flyer, just what the flyer said. I told him you have to leave. And uh, when he was done, I had just finished getting the guitar tuned. So I said, "Well, I started." Uh, all we are saying is this piece of chance. Started playing it. And it was like out of the woodwork. All this all these people came from out of the woods, started spiraling around this guy. Until he finally threw up his hands and just walked off. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they uh, they responded by giving us four big army pots to use while we were there afterwards. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah it was an amazing turnaround. Wow. A gathering on one of Hitler's old properties. Is that? <laughs> uh -huh. That's that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, and it's a little known story. Robbie Gordon can back that one up. Robbie Gordon can back that one up. <laughs> Let Robbie Gordon if he know if they ever want to call into the to the radio show. I would like I would love to have him call in and maybe play some of his music. Yeah. He's a great mandolin player. The only, yeah, I love that. <laughs> the only quadriplegic I know that lives in a tree house, Robbie Gordon. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I got to uh, spend time with him in Hawaii. It was really, it was really nice. Yeah. He's a special cat. Mm -hmm. So I found these recordings, um, through Tanali Sounds of the Rainbow dot org. Uh we have two recordings of you at Instant Soup. One's an American hippie and the other one's Hey Good Friends. Which one would you rather me play to uh oh, close out shit. the show? Uh for the show I would say American Hippie. American Hippie? You you don't have uh, uh it's all about the ball, huh? I, I could probably find it. I was this is just what I found right now, but we could uh oh, play American Hippie's good. Okay, which one would did you did you just say that you wanted to hear? Oh, I, I thought you had. It's all about the ball. I think that's um, Penali's most. Uh, that's his popular one. It's all about the bowl? ball. Ball, ball, B A L L. Let's play American Hippie. Yeah? Okay, uh, I can play. It's all about the ball uh, next week too. Because um, I've just been trying to play all the uh, rainbow music that I can, you know, <laughs> while I have this outlet do so well henry the fiddler and i did this american hippie tune at a at a uh jazz club in st petersburg russia uh oh, cool during, yeah we were we were both part of a 
Peck Avenue's clown troupe that year. Oh, that's really cool. So, uh, yeah, yeah, American Hippie's a good tune to play. Okay. It's probably the most autobiographical. <laughs> oh, wow, that's interesting. Autobiographical. From Rich in Spirit himself. Um, Rich, I want to uh, thank you for calling in. And you can call in uh, another show a different time, too, and we'll play more of your music. And I'll send you a link so you can share this with your friends. And thank you so much for everything that you do. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad. Uh, and thank you for doing this. Yeah, I appreciate the music and the soup and uh, you telling us your stories. I uh, hope we can get together again next year. I hope. I just hope. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see you in the woods again, brother. That would be nice. Nice to see you face to face. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for calling in. I'm going to play your music now. All right. Thanks. Just 30 years, Woodstock has become all the original was not, and then some. From being with nature on a farm and in tents to a concrete runway and controlled by a fence. From everything being shared for free water costing four bucks, maybe three. This American hippie is singing what he sees, greed taking over the corruption of a dream. I ain't saying love is dead, at least I hope it's not for you. Each generation must be fed to create that dream anew. This American hippie likes being in the woods and given free choice. I'd rather do good. It's not growing old that I really mind. It's that I'm giving people Our bodies are so beautiful, shame we needn't be. Let's reclaim real family values and get ourselves free. This hippie still stands behind his beliefs. No change is slow to come. The world still needs relief. Yes, I'm still getting high. I still like that grass. Though it isn't an addiction, it's medicinal relief that lasts. And yes, my hair's still long. I've got no reason to drop it. I'm still thinking for myself. No corporate government can stop it. And I still believe 
even striving for the equality of all that sooner or later Babylon will fall bars what you do with your freedom is no concern to me be truthful and hurt no one in word or deed is the the whole verse, but we're going to have to come back to it. <laughs> yeah, I love it.